eat? I'm not hungry. You lie. <laughs> Just to please me. I do nothing for your pleasure. All I wish is for you to sit and talk with me. Sit? As you wish. It is enough that we are alone together. Just the two of us. Some uh, simple conversation. I have nothing to talk about. You've stolen my dreams away. All things change, lady. The dreams of youth are the regrets of maturity. Dreams are my speciality. Through dreams, I influence mankind. My dream is of eternity with you. I offer you this rose, princess. My heart, my soul, my love. Love? Cinema 9 Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Travis Roy. I'm joined with Eric Branstrom. Our regular co-host, Mike Govier, couldn't make it today, so we're just doing a twosome. Eric, buddy, how are you today? Uh, dude, I'm good. Um, it is a beautiful Saturday morning. Today, all I got to do is pack up my car, because I'm going on a beautiful trip to Nashville, Tennessee for the next few days. I rented a house, oh. and I'm going to fucking take it easy. There's a hot tub there that is purportedly clean by the uh, Yelp reviewers, and uh, <laughs> I'm excited to lay low and uh, do my thing. Yeah, think not about bacteria while you're in there. Yeah. But, um, dude, Nashville, have you been to Nashville before? 
I drove past it and I really wanted to check it out, but I just did not have oh, the time. You're going to have a blast, man. It is just, it is. I mean, I've been there quite a few times and I love mm. it every single time. Very memorable nights, that strip, just music coming out of every fucking bar and just great beer. And well, I got my daughter. Atmosphere. Is it like toddler friendly? <laughs> oh, um, yeah, this could change things. Well, yeah. I mean, you might want to head more towards the Smokies and all that, like, um, where all the, the Dolly Parton stuff is like, Fuck. I feel like you're, I feel like you're going towards more of like the, I thought, eh, well, I mean, I'm sure that there's plenty to do there uh, for kids. Um, and at night you can bring your child to the bars to check <laughs> out the, uh, the, the many bands. Uh, yeah. And right. of course, just getting away from the house from a little bit sure, is always nice. Right That's good. I'm not going anywhere myself, although I am on a sort of vacation from school, from teaching. Um, but I'm like still going to work and going into my office, which is mm. a lot of fun to do to have a vacation. That's not a vacation. Yeah. My, my favorite. Hmm. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're doing legend today from 1985. We should uh, say hello and send out goodwill and love to our friend, Jason Wellico, who is going mm -hmm. to be our guest host um, to uh, step in today. But uh, for reasons that are his own, that he was un unable to make it despite many valiant efforts. So uh, shout out to you, our friend. We wish you good luck and much love. Dude, you're in our thoughts, and we hope we can bring some justice to this pick that you were extremely excited about. So, uh, <laughs> you know, well, I apologize in advance for all the bubble jokes, but, uh, you know, we, we, we got to be honest. There's a lot of bubbles in this movie. Bubbles. What's a glitter budget on this film? <laughs> a lot of and a lot of bubbles but of course before before we do that we got to get through our um what do we usually do mike gave me a hard time last time i was stepping in for him i, I don't pay attention to the order in which we do things um do we tids do and bits and then tids, pigs. okay that's what i thought that's what i thought uh tids and bits as we like to reference the classic film the other sister uh my tidbit and news is probably the same thing you chose mike it's, it's the hollywood has been all a flutter lately because the exit of a producer over at marvel studios by the name of victoria alonzo there's been all this speculation about was she fired did she quit if she was fired what did she get fired for and the, the past week or so here in um and what, what is today the 20th mid late march of 2023 there's been a lot of speculation about her um, it, you know, cause she's an openly gay, uh, Argentinian immigrant. And so some people think that she's like, she's, since she's pushed for representation, some people think that she's being pushed out because she's too, uh, pushy in that regard. But it seems to me that since she was in charge for a long time of visual effects, and that has been the main complaint coming out of both filmmakers, like the, 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 the you know, the visual effects artists themselves and the audience, um, this has been the steady complaint for the last two or three years. It seems to me not a huge surprise that um, she was forced out. What do you think of all this? I've been following this story. Um, you know, I, I've been hearing that primarily Bob Iger is not very impressed with the numbers and yeah. they're plain and simple for, for Disney in general. And he's got to make a shitload of cutbacks and some big changes to try to get things moving in a direction. And after Quantumania pulls in, you know, half a billion and underperforms, he's not going to let Feige go. So he's looking at his second in command and just chopping heads off over there. I'd like to back up. You said half a billion underperforms, right? Yeah. Well, 
That's the world we live in now. That's, that's the, the world we live in. Yeah, that's a failure of a film. That's a failure. <laughs> it only made half a billion dollars. Yeah, yeah. Jesus fuck. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's um, we're definitely seeing a slowdown in the Marvel production, which I think is for the better. Despite being a big fan, obviously, I I, I think it's going to improve the lives of the people that make it, and it's going to improve the output that they're that they're producing. Uh, so to me, I I kind of take um, some. I mean, I think that this is probably a good thing since it seems to be that that has been the weak link in Marvel. And uh, Alonso, she was behind the really excellent film that won uh, the Golden Globe for Best International Film, Argentina, Argentina 1985. Right. So, uh, And she's obviously well-decorated in her field, so I don't think that her career is going to be ruined or anything. And, of course, we will be seeing her name on lots of Marvel credits for the next several films since she helped get them off the ground. She'll be fine. You know, it was, I mean, it was interesting to see reports saying that all TV projects are essentially on hold when mm -hmm. usually they have these down to the fucking day and date and everybody's excited. And now they're just kind of pushing pause. I think Loki's season two is the only one that's like confirmed to be already filming and moving forward. Everything else is like, well, let's just kind of see what happens here. Yeah, I think, I think it's going to be a dramatic slowdown. And I imagine that some of these shows with less you know premiere characters like the agatha harkness show and the echo show if these shows had not already gotten going you know like something i think that they've already been filmed i'm pretty sure i imagine that this is the kind of thing they would have just stopped uh, or the Iger would have stopped so I, I yeah um we'll see what's going on with all this so did i did i steal your tidbit was just the tidbit no, you're going to go with? It's, all it's, right it's Iger related i mean okay disney's uh it's up in arms, man. I mean, like their expectations are insane. I think I think in 20, 2022, they projected, I think maybe eight or nine films that made a billion dollars, which is fucking outrageous. Yeah. And since they're only at maybe one or two this year, it's they're going to the drawing board and stockholders are fucking going nuts. So I, I, I'm interested to see what he does with Star Wars. That's kind of my main tidbit because this mm -hmm. is a fucking disaster. Like <laughs> the, the, these writer and directors are jumping ship. I mean, it's been this way since, um, since right after Force Awakens when these um, yeah. anthology directors just fucking gave up, and nobody really knows who to point the finger at. It's very easy to point it at Kathleen Kennedy because she's like been this scapegoat that we know about, mm -hmm. but we don't really know what's going on behind the scenes, but. Nevertheless, every single project that they announce ends up falling apart. They just <laughs> lost Damon Lindelof, who yeah. gave us some hope for the next movie. They lost fucking Patty Jenkins. Uh, Taiki Waititi, who was set to, to star and make his own movie, jumped ship. He yeah. just said he'd rather watch them instead of be in them, and he couldn't take on this uh, this whole big process. And now they got um, – <laughs> and they fucking announced this guy that, from Peaky Blinders – to make the next one and then the same day i get a report that he's about to make uh remake vertigo with bob downey jr what? so that's probably going to take over his his uh schedule and he's going to bow out of this newly announced star wars <laughs> movie too it's just it's a fucking train wreck i mean how do you have this property and we haven't seen a movie in theater since solo which was what 2018 or no rise of skywalker it yeah. was 2019, and that's the last one in theaters, and we're not expected to see one in 2023. That's a fucking disaster. And somebody's if you're gonna if you're gonna trim the fat, somebody's got to go who's making these choices because this is a four billion dollar purchase from George Lucas. They mm -hmm. should be banging these out two at a time. Good quality films should be banged out two at a time, and we haven't seen anything in four years. Are you fucking kidding me? 
Well, obviously they're they're doing well on television uh, or pretty well. I mean, I don't, not every, <laughs> not everything's great. Uh, that's for sure. I would say they're they're about. The Mandalorian numbers are the lowest they've ever been. Like people are tuning even out of Mandalorian season three. Like it's, I don't know what the hell's going on. Yeah, well, I I think that there's a couple things going on, and this is my you know speculation and opinion. But I think for one, I think that people are getting a little bit worn out on superhero and fantasy and sci sci-fi. I think that uh, these are all my bread and butter. I'm not sick of this shit at all. Uh, but I think that they have enjoyed for the last ten years or so the limelight so much that people are starting to get a little tired of it, and it's a you know, it's a it's an embarrassment of riches with this stuff. I mean, um, we're getting tons of content in terms not just Marvel but superhero stuff in general. And then with Star Wars, despite there not being anything in film, there's been a lot on TV, and of you know, mixed and and all these things, pretty mixed and getting um, some good stuff and some not so good stuff. And from the from a creator's perspective. I've seen a lot of complaints. Like, for instance, I, I can't think of the guy's name, the guy that just directed um, both Shazam movies. Which yeah, I love. Yeah, I love the first one. I haven't seen the second one because it's, I mean, it's still in theaters and it's getting bashed. But, like, he's left and, and said that he's not going to be doing stuff like this anymore. Mostly, it sounds like, because he's sick of the fandom. And I imagine that's got a lot to do with a lot of these people. Like, you want to, like, step into the shoes of Lucas and then you got to also, like, get like the full gale winds of all these opinions and you're not going to make anyone happy. I think that like the fandoms are so fervent that they're literally driving away talent from um, producing some of this stuff, because I think that people not, and not just the fandom, but the, you know, the media as well. Like, I think that, I think it just becomes for, I think a lot of these people are probably dropping out because it's a daunting to take on such a, a project that has that many eyes on it. And that, level of vitriol if you don't nail it from the perspective of every individual i think those are some really good points um a product like this is so it, it's like committee based 100 yeah. so a lot of these writers and directors probably have something excellent they could bring to the table uh but they're worried about this 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 committee that's probably just going to tear it to shreds and mandate all of this stuff i mean that's not to say that you can't have product like that John Favreau puts out that's fantastic when it comes to those first couple seasons of the Mandalorian. Like, I think if you have something that is going to be good, you should try to make it. But if you are are, are worried that you're going to get fucked over by anybody in charge, yeah, it's probably best to step back. I mean, Ryan Johnson steps back. He had a planned trilogy and he he's out. David Benioff and Weiss, they're out. And these are fantastic filmmakers that I don't know. I was just kind of interested to see it, but yeah, I mean, everything's fucked and you say sci-fi and superheroes are, are getting tired. I don't know because look at the charge, uh, the charge, John wick four is blowing up. Last of us is blowing up. So mm -hmm. these the genre type things, there's an appetite still, but it, it, the product has to be good or else people will get up in arms. Yeah. And John wick, I mean, that's, I mean, I would say that's more just like straightforward action. I don't know that it's necessary. It's not science fiction or anything like that. I don't know if it's a genre film, but I would agree that Last of Us um, has blown up. And I think that's in part because of the dramatic elements, not so much the horror elements. Um, I think that people might start pushing more towards, I mean, I think there's plenty of authenticity to be found in all of these genres, but um, stuff that is more grounded in the real world. I, I, I can, you know, we'll see. We'll see if that's where people we'll are see. going. I guess we'll, we'll see. see.
So I've been watching some stuff, but really not that much. Um, yeah. I had a pretty busy week. Um, I uh, I checked out the Boston Strangler, this new film okay. that's on Hulu. And uh, I, I just love, uh, what's her, I'm totally blanking on her name, Kira <laughs> Kira Knightley. Knightley. Yeah, Kira Knightley. Um, she's been starring in stuff for the last few years, but it's all been stuff that I just haven't been interested in, so I haven't seen her in a leading role in a while. And it was nice to see her in this. And uh, I was not aware of how convoluted the case of the Boston Strangler really is. I think, I think that the filmmakers did a good job of not trying to bend the movie to follow like something very accessible and easy to understand because the case is not. Um, so I, I thought they did a pretty good job. They're not, not great, but certainly worth checking out. Did you ever see the Tony Curtis film where he played the, the killer? No, but that there's but there that is referenced in the movie. Oh, um, really? Yeah, because the movie takes place from like the beginning of the killings to more or less like the mid 70s. So the, and that was mm. produced in 1968, I believe. Mm. So there's actually like a, a, a reference to that in the movie, which is funny. Wow, cool. Um, yeah, it was pretty good. I uh I checked out uh Au Revoir Les Enfants or Les Enfants. I cannot speak French. Goodbye, children from Louis Mall in 1987. Um, this movie is very highly regarded um you know it's one of those movies that often shows up on critics best lists and stuff and it's just heartbreaking it was so good um this autobiographical story of um just it it it's louis mall's life and um he's not you know the kid is not the character doesn't have his name but we know mm. you know that it's him and it's um he plays a young kid in a French boarding school in like Vichy, France during, uh, during the, during the war. And, uh, there's a German, or excuse me, there's a, a Jewish kid in hiding with him that he kind of like, um, has a rivalry and friendship with it is really a slow burn that just left me in tears. It was great. Um, okay. it was really, really good, but don't worry. I'm not too much of a film snob watching my French movies. Cause I followed that up with tremors three back to perfection. Okay. Starring Michael gross. Sure. Um, which since he's the only person left in this, in this franchise by this point, like they had to adopt his characters <laughs> like perspective. So it's all very like right wing and like anti government. It's kind of hilarious. Hmm. Um, and that checked out a couple of big, long, lengthy, um, film or music documentaries one being gone with the wind the something rise dramatic fall of leonard skinnard um which was about three hours long and and Dang. good mostly i learned from it that like it would have sucked to be in leonard skinnard like they just, <laughs> <laughs> it was like the okay. hardest hardest working band but like not in a fun or good way like like there's literally people in the band like having mental breakdowns from the amount of like the precision demanded from Ronnie Van Zant and then like the the touring schedules and stuff by the record companies and the managers and stuff it was just a, I mean it was like a shit show I mean like you think of you think the the plane was a bad situation and preventable the whole fucking situation sounded pretty bad for those guys um but I I, I actually followed that up I mean I actually watched that as a follow-up because I wanted to see what else Tubi had to offer because this was on sure, Tubi. of course on Tubi I stumbled across running down a dream which was um uh, Peter Bogdanovich's um, four-hour documentary oh, about the, the the life of not Tom Petty, but the existence of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Very much a focus on that entire band. It wow. is incredible. Never even heard of it. Yeah, I hadn't either, dude. It came out in 2007. Completely 
pass by me. Mm. And it's fantastic. I mean, it's every, like <laughs> the polar opposite of the of Leonard Skinner's experience, despite coming from the same region of the same state around the same time. Um, like these guys are a brotherhood. Um, if any one of them had left the band or died, the band probably would have broken up except for that, like that both those things did happen. So the movie, um, details how they dealt with that. It deals with like breakups and drug use. And, uh, Mm. I mean, like it is, it is awesome, dude, but it's really inspiring how like these, these dudes could create this thing that they love together. And despite all the ups and downs that come with, um, creating a piece of art together and um, the commitments that can be very frustrating, how they, they, they kept it together for years through the ups and downs. It's, it's really, I mean, I just loved it. I couldn't recommend it more. Not even just if you're a Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers fan, just like if you've ever been in a band or if you like music, um, Running Down a Dream is an incredible documentary. Four hours. <laughs> it blew by. Four hours. Yeah. Not quite. Is that the, the, the Skinner doc? Is that the one I watched on Netflix that came out last year? No, was there two of them? this was 2015. Okay. Yeah. All right. Mostly interviews with like the same three or four dudes like Bob Burns, which was interesting. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, it was like Bogdanovich taken on documentary. Like it's, it's huge in scope, not just in, in length with running down a dream, but like it's, you know, it's expertly crafted. Whereas the Skinner documentary was like, okay, here's a guy in a chair. Here's another guy in a chair. Here's a, the first guy in a chair again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. Okay. Well, solid run of uh, entertainment there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I watched uh, Remember the Titans <laughs> on Disney Plus. Nice I saw Denzel's face and I hit play immediately. I haven't seen this since the theaters in 2000. And so they're watching. It, I'm like, fucking Christ, this is 23 years old. Um, it's really cheesy. I mean, it's really cheesy. They're really like, they're really like hammering down on like the us versus them stuff about like the black players and the white players in like some kind of some cringeworthy ways where like, of course, they get together over like the temptations and it's all very like <laughs> extremely saccharine. And it's like bookended with like a narrative from of all people, like little white girl that knew like one of the players or something. It's really just like uh, vanilla like year 2000 movie where they're trying to be like kumbaya about everything's cheesy, but it's on Disney plus. So that's a good family film. If you turn your brain off and, uh, and uh, try to enjoy yourself. Um, yeah. I watched the Whitney Houston biopic. I want to dance with somebody. Um, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't go out of my way to see this film. Cause it's very, it's like a lifetime movie. This is your typical Wikipedia. This happened, then this happened, then this happened. Then we're in the studio, and then uh oh, Bobby Brown's here. Uh, so yeah, be careful. But it does feature a fantastic performance, not by the lead, but by Stanley Tucci, the Tooch, as oh. Clive uh, Davis. He's fantastic. Uh, he's he's fucking fantastic as uh, Clive Davis. Uh, worth the viewing alone. Mm. But the movie is very like paint by number, typical stuff, man. Um, and there was a lot to work with there. Uh, they uh, somebody did a documentary. I think it was called Whitney. Yeah. a couple years ago on Prime. It was fantastic. And if you know anything about the story of Whitney Houston, they really should have centered this movie about a secondary character that she kind of grew up with and somebody that worked with Whitney Houston to make this narrative way more interesting. I love biopics that are told from like the friend's point of view or like somebody else. So mm-hmm. like the the central figure becomes like this shadowy 
untouchable persona, so he can keep that mystique. But yeah. this, this, this one kind of blew it, man, aside from the Tooch. No, when in doubt, the Tooch will prevail. Yeah, yeah, of course. And then I turned on, uh, <laughs> despite my me cracking jokes and scoffing at the trailer since I first <laughs> saw it, Checked out a man called Otto, starring Tom Hanks, and okay. directed by Mark Forster. I How hit was it? play. I hit play, man. And I gotta tell you, I, I I I dug the film. I liked the film. I I cried several times, okay. and uh, it got me. It got me, and it it absolutely was trying to get me because it's very <laughs> sappy and melodramatic, and like it's okay. it's just made for like that white after church crowd that's gonna <laughs> pour out of the theater in tears that's who it's made for right. and it delivers on that because um it's there's some powerful stuff in there um but it's it's still like your typical like he's a grouch but you know he's gonna be uh cute and cuddly at the end and he is and like <laughs> stuff happens that changes him but you know it was okay. it, it was pretty good i mark forster's hit or miss with me like he'll give you something like uh monsters ball which is very raw and has a lot of fresh energy and then it'll give you finding neverland which is fluff trash and this <laughs> is more towards the latter but okay. still if you're looking for something to do on a rainy day he could do much worse all right That's about it for me okay so we watched some movies not too many movies yeah it's true um in that case that, that means that it's time for us to get on with the uh our filthy business, as Dana Gould would say. True. Um, it's time to talk 1985's Legend, the Ridley <laughs> Scott film Legend. And again, shout out to Jason Wellico for picking this one. I don't think I would have ever picked it. Would you have, have picked it? No. I would not have either. Um, for reasons I'll get into here in a moment. But uh, um, we typically start looking at, uh, what, we do the uh, IMDb scores first? Uh, yeah. yeah. Walk, hand, walk me through this thing we've been doing for three years. <laughs> Every episode is exactly the same. I'll tell you what we do. Um, yeah, we look at the IMDb score, then we'll take a look at the critics' reviews, and then talk about our, our yes. experiences with the film. Okay. I have no idea what the score is on this. I, I haven't heard anybody talk about it in 30 years like once in a while you see a picture of darkness pop up on some makeup site but i yeah. haven't heard word one in 30 years i'm gonna say 6.5 yeah i feel like this is um this isn't one you hear people talk about a lot usually like you start talking about labyrinth or something like that and then mm -hmm. something else will pipe up with legend um so yeah i don't think it's that i'm gonna say six six mm. why not uh survey says 6.3 Okay. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Out of sixty-eight thousand reviews, so that's okay. that's well reviewed. It's um, it's pretty high up in the popularity on IMDb. It's uh, at six thirty-five, which is in the top. I think being the top thousand really is uh, pretty good. Okay, in my opinion, uh, there's a lot of movies on IMDb. Uh, so people are still watching it for sure. <laughs> um, let's see what the critics have to say over at uh, Rotten tomatoes we're looking at a 41 percent on the tomas tomato tomometer tomato that thing yeah that thing um 73 on the audience scores we got some popcorn upright people like it critics not as much yeah yeah a lot of splats from what i see here man yeah um we'll start with a um a positive um kevin carr fat guys at the movies um okay why they have a oh, top critic me. 
Uh, this is a fantasy painting come to life as a movie. If you know anything about fantasy paintings, you'll also know that most fantasy paintings don't have a story or plot to them. That's that's a full fully ripe tomato. Wow. That doesn't sound complimentary, does it? No, and I am seeing a lot of um fingers being point at the script here, man. The variety staff says that legend's a fairy tale produced on a grand scale. At the same time, the premise is alarmingly thin and a compendium of any number of ancient fairy tales. Mm. Splat. Splat. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm seeing like no reviews from the time it came out. Are you seeing any of that? Roger Ebert said in his uh, January 1st, 2000 review, like yeah. many recent sword and sorcery movies. So this is probably a uh, a reposting of his original view if he's mm -hmm. talking about recent movies. It's so effective in rendering evil, so good at depicting the dire bleak fates facing the heroes that it's too dreary and gloomy for its own good. He and Gene splatted this one. Uh, okay, Vincent Camby over at the New York Times uh, this is, says succinctly, Ridley Scott has done better. <laughs> so, Ooh, dang, right. um, hmm. not a, not a lot of positive reviews. Again, a lot of you know the the fans seem to like it, uh, critics not as much. Now, do you remember the first time you saw this movie? I remember it being around when I was a kid, and I remember being hyper aware of obviously the darkness character. I remember just like sitting around in my room, just drawing him over and over and over and over again. I was oh. just obsessed with the look of this creature. Yeah. But when it came to the movie, like I remember watching it in like, how do I explain this? I just remember feeling very uncomfortable while watching it all the time. And you know, it made sense to me when I watched it a couple of days ago. Why? But yeah, I, I watched it a couple of times, but I was very influenced by the look of the film as a kid Mm -hmm. But I haven't seen it since. I think I, I I watched it maybe last year, and I told the I told you guys that I kind of turned it off. I was like, whatever, who cares? But yeah, <laughs> um, I have a very distinct memory of the first time I saw Do this you? movie. Yeah, because uh, I got about five minutes into it. I was about five years old, maybe you know, four years old, six years. I was about you know wow. in that range when it first came out, and my family rented it. And I made a note in, in watching the movie. I made it as far as the winged man chopping up the human being in front of the fireplace before PG. Satan in this PG rated movie. <laughs> I made it that far. As soon as Satan, he's not darkness. It's fucking Satan. As soon as fucking <laughs> Lucifer started talking and I'm watching this human being get chopped up. I freaked the fuck out. And I, and I, I ruined though. I ruined movie night for my whole family. And I'm like, no, I can't watch really? this. And I pissed my brother off big time and probably my sister too. Cause I'm like, I was like, no, I'm not watching this. And I made them return it and go. And they went <laughs> and my, yeah, no my brother shit. and sister were pissed. They, they, we, my mom took the movie, put it, went back down the street to movie land and said, my son is freaking out. Please give us Transylvania six, 5,000. It's the only <laughs> movie that will calm him down. <laughs> so she brought that home and I watched that again. <laughs> you know, there's a famous story of you being absolutely either or perhaps both horrified and enamored by uh, the thriller video. It's famous. Uh, famous story. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is this kind of like the same thing where like some things freaked you out, but other things like fascinated you and excited you in terms of this stuff when you were a kid? So Yeah. So, I mean, I was very much into that kind of stuff done right because Monster Squad, I was a huge fan of when that came out. And um, like you said, thriller, I became obsessed with werewolves after that movie and like zombies to a degree. Um well, I was terrified of the zombies. I couldn't hardly handle them. But uh, 
Yeah, I think it would be like a mix of being fascinated or not. But I think with this one, it probably was because I was raised, uh, excuse me, I was raised in a fairly religious household, especially over at my dad's house. So I, I feel like um, the whole Satan thing was what was what really threw me. I, I'm not used, you know, I was not used to seeing depictions of the devil um, that in, in real life, you know, I'd seen Fantasia for right. instance but like this was i mean what tim curry and rob botine did in this movie is something wow. else entirely uh it's like this otherworldly character that um it it it's a big deal i think in in film and it makes sense that it would make me want to shit my pants as a five-year-old it's a couple of times when i watched this a few days ago i'm looking at this and i'm rubbing my eyes thinking to myself how, how did they do that like yeah. in 1985, there's no edges. There's no, there's nothing that looks like phone to me anyway. Like there's this like grease and this grime on darkness. It looks fucking real. It looks so fucking good. But yeah, I mean, I think over the years, Ridley Sky has shied away from the film a little bit. He tried to save face by putting out a fucking long ass director's cut, but Tom Cruise has divorced himself from the film, and I, it comes out in this weird time where you have so much. Look at Ebert's review, man. You could go down the list with these with dark sci-fi fantasy, Excalibur, mm -hmm. Lady Hawk, Dark Crystal. All of these dreary, depressing <laughs> fantasy films come out, and then yeah. this 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 one lays on you, where literally people are getting chopped up for food. It's a kids' movie. I, I, you know, I, I see where these critics are coming from in '85. Yeah. This is the same year as Black Cauldron, too, which I love. Cauldron. But you're right. Like, I think you hit it on the head. There, this is definitely a time of really grim fairy tales, kind of ostensibly for children. Um, the 80s in general were about that. Like, how 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 badly can we terrify the kids? Um, so <laughs> here we are. But so I didn't watch it again until, yeah, since we started the podcast. I watched wow. it maybe two years ago or something. And I would have talked about it then. And then I watched it a couple nights ago for Jason Wellico. We love you, Jason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, where, where, where to begin? It's our second foray into Ridley Scott's world. We did American Gangster, which I'm pretty sure we liked. And, you know, in 85, Ridley Scott is coming off Alien and Blade Runner. So yeah. all eyes are on this guy. And and he gives us this. I mean, the biggest surprise <laughs> for the big, <laughs> the big surprise for me when I turned the film on was that it's like, 89 minutes at least the version i saw yeah i seen as a kid didn't this always seem like it was like this fucking gigantic epic and yet well, it's it's so short the five minutes that i watched seemed pretty intense mm. um, but i cannot tell you if i if it seemed epic to me as a kid because again i did not see it until my 40s um but i was grateful to not watch the director's cut it seems like yeah it, i mean like um Seems like that would have been overly long. Uh, this is not yeah. a very complicated story in any way, shape, or form. Um, this is a very, I mean, to me, this movie, I mean, Ridley Scott's British, so he takes British Isles like fantasies films and gives us a presentation of here's how you know, here's that moment of the divorcement between humanity and these legendary creatures. And here's how they became separated on two sides of this divide from one another, never to meet again. And that's where mm -hmm. the legends are born. So it's, it's a cool, um, 
uh, framing of this, the way that he's going about it, because he's able to borrow heavily from stuff that he is well familiar with and that a lot of his audience is well familiar with. But that said, um, a little a little chintzy, a little little cheap uh, on the plot. Um, not a lot of depth there. It's so true. Um, in fact, my biggest issue with the film is the fact that it's 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 like it's like a ten year old like was was writing like a like his assignment was write a fable. And he's like, all right, I'm gonna have to get the uh, princess. We need uh, like the woods boy. We need demon and <laughs> goblins. And like, there you go, and turns it in. Like, it baffles my mind that Ridley Scott, who is who especially back then was this meticulous filmmaker, and he is when it comes to the visuals on this. Yeah. He accepts this script from like this random dude who like wrote fantasy novels. Like, there's not, there's nothing here. And I'm watching this it. movie. Yeah, he, he teamed up with some Swedish guy or something to, to oh. write it. Like, he hired yeah. somebody, he knew what he wanted. And then he's like, mm -hmm. write this. And the guy's like, all right, I'll write it. I'm watching it. I'm just kind of wishing that he would have remade Snow White or would have remade Beauty and the Beast. All these movies that he's homaging, especially Cocteau's films. Like, I just wish he would have went with one of those classic stories and along with his insanely creative unique vision because the story mm. is nothing like the whole time i'm scribbling notes like are you fucking kidding me are you kidding me are you kidding me <laughs> um yeah maybe i assume that scott wrote it or something yeah william hort hortzberg mm -hmm. uh is the writer and it seems like a lot of the um seems like a lot's being put on the production designer uh ashton i hope it's ashton it's I mean, spelled <laughs> s heaton um ashton gorton um, mm -hmm. who I'm not familiar with, but I, clearly he is doing a lot of the heavy lifting in this movie because I see, I, as I'm watching this movie, I'm going to have some gripes. And as I'm watching this movie, I don't see people you know, prancing around in a magical forest. I see actors prancing around on a set. Um, <laughs> and, and this is like all shot on a set um, and it all feels <laughs> like a set. So um, to me, a lot of it seems like kind of what, what you're getting at like the story was put, up, put on the back burner and like and the assumption was hey this is kind of for kids and also it's like a basic fairy tale it doesn't need to be complicated let's focus on the visuals of this thing mm -hmm. and the visuals are strong i mean more than strong i mean they're they're really really good botines um work not just on the character of darkness which where is tim curry i can't see oh him God. in that like i just see the character of darkness but also you know that's that's robert picardo is uh meg Mucklebones. <laughs> yeah, it is there it gets yep. beheaded that swamp creature that's robert picardo in there which you know he must have he's probably buddies with rob Bottin after um <laughs> after wolfen well i think um, he did explorers that same year and i think Bottin did the work for, for picardo on that yeah they must have become pretty good buddies which makes sense they're sitting in chairs together for, you know together for long periods of time um and and it, and that's just the costume work i mean um the while it's all very clearly a set the set looks gorgeous it's it's shot well um visually a, a stunning movie right i mean i don't I, that's hard yeah. to argue yeah um yeah it's a set like something something about like the look of it is super like cozy to me like even kind of knowing it's a set i it, it gives me like these like silent film vibes where like clearly yeah. like like the universal backlot and all the yeah. universal monsters like you know it's clearly a set but it's like got like this storybook like hey uh you know come join us for story time kind of thing where it doesn't have to look real in fact if it took place in a real location i might just be oh ireland 
you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But like at the same time, <laughs> what the fuck is all this shit flying around? Like, I, I don't know if you watch this in HD, but like, is the set infested with like fucking bubbles? like like bubbles. bugs and bubbles? Like, we need some off deep woods here. Like, Jack and Lily need deet because it looks like there's fucking mosquitoes <laughs> and bugs flying around in every single shot. But they're not though, right? It's like it's not actual insects. It's like some sort of ephemera <laughs> that they have floating around in the air, like yeah, like, yeah, like dandelion wisps or cotton. Wisps. I don't know what it is, but it's, yeah, you're right. There's just like a bunch of shit <laughs> flying around. One um, reviewer called it the dandruff of the gods, and I laughed out loud. Um, I don't know. It, it's cool because it keeps everything moving, and yeah. it, it looks unlike any other film. But it's <laughs> bizarre. And it emphasizes the light. Like, it brings all this attention yeah. to the light, which I think yeah. that's, like, the main effort. Um, and there are parts where that – I think it, where it really, really works. Like, <laughs> when um, when Mia Sarah touches the unicorn and everything sure. goes to shit, and then she's, like, getting – and then the unicorn's getting kidnapped and all – like, everything – you know, that, that's, there's a lot of floating shit around there. That looks pretty – amazing but to go back to your point about uh it looking like a classic hollywood studio lot like mm -hmm. towards the end of the film when uh jack as played by tom cruise like goes no and like swings across the thing yeah. the divide to, yeah like it's like wow that really does that feels like straight out of like captain courageous yeah errol flynn shit right there right mm -hmm. um and speaking of tom cruise I have never been so acutely aware of how much plastic surgery the man has had until I watched this movie. You know, I was watching Maverick this morning. Loved it. Um, so so but good. yeah, I mean, he, he looks beautiful in the film and I'm watching it every single time he's on screen. I'm like, that, that's Tom Cruise, right? Like, it's just such a weird performance. It looks like Tom Cruise's like ugly younger brother. That's 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 what that's what it looks like. It looks like you're not looking at Tom, like someone uh, like Tom Cruise adjacent. It doesn't look like him. It's weird with the, the, the teeth, the, the nose. Um, it's uh, it's an it's intense. You got to go. You're you're on mute. No, I'm good. I'm good. Um, so um, are you baby watching at the moment? Yeah, kind of. OK, well, if so, if you have to dip out, I will just vamp. Um, yeah, vamp. I, can, I can hear you. I can hear you. Okay, <laughs> we'll just all right. And I'm vamping because he has up and walked away. But that is the you know the price of being a father. Uh, it is more important to rear your child than it is to do a podcast. And if you're rearing a child, my suggestion is that you don't show your child the film Legend from 1985 because you will traumatize that child. And he's back. Hello again. Tra child trauma uh yeah that was definitely a thing in the 80s um sure <laughs> okay um so uh where else to go with this, this uh, let's, let's talk about this score because you're gonna yeah. fire the great jerry goldsmith and and hire tangerine dream here now i listened to the the original score that got uh nixed by ridley scott did you i no i did not i love tangerine dream sucked though. It sucked, and I love Jerry Goldsmith, but like, yeah, they made the right call here because his original score was like dumb ambient noises and like like trying to blend with like a traditional score. It just was not working. I love the score for Tang from Tangerine Dream. I, I love Tangerine Dream scores. I this is one of my least favorite, though. Um, I think that like this one, he seems like he's doing a lot more. I, I forget his name from Tangerine Dream. He's just it's one guy. Yeah, it's really just one dude. Um. But in this one, I feel like he is doing um, 
I feel like he's been asked to like, hey, just be more ethereal, be more kind of background, like don't be too focused <laughs> with like, because like it, a lot of it just kind of like feels filler, you know what I mean? It doesn't feel like there's like a a lot of the Tangerine Dream stuff from the '80s to me is very memorable, and this to me didn't feel memorable. Okay, all right. That's how about these? Uh, how about these <laughs> these songs from like Brian Ferry coming in and uh, <laughs> Tangerine himself, Dream himself sings like the the last song. Yeah, yeah. '80s music. Um, I love it most of the time. I, this was not. I mean, but like. 80s music written for an 80s movie isn't always going to yeah. be the best. Yeah, yeah, it can get a little bit tricky. Yeah. Uh, maybe we should dive into this story for what it is because, oh, Jesus Christ, man, unless you're 9 or 10 years old, I'm sitting down with a pen and paper. These choices are bonkers. They're going to introduce a princess. They're, they're, there's no kingdom. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, just, yeah, like, there's nothing. That's, why do they even bother making her a princess? Can't she just be like beautiful, a like, girl who likes to wander around in the woods? Because... The king and queen, they don't cut to them being like, we need to save our daughter. Hire the, like, no one even cares that she's missing. Like, there's there's nothing. That's a that's a really good point. I feel like also, I mean, there's a lot of things in this movie that are taking place that are, yeah, seems like they're expecting people not to notice or care. Like, for instance, she's, she, what's, what's her name again? Lily. Lily. Lily is running from the goblins and she hides in her friend's house who she basically got frozen. I don't know why no one else got frozen, but the poor woman got frozen and she goes up and hides in the attic. And then the goblins come in looking for her supposedly, but really just laying out exposition and making sure that she knows that it's her fault. Sure. And then they, but then they turn around and leave. So there's a lot of things like that happening that just feel like it's convenient. Um, like, I don't know. And then darkness, man, like, I guess it must have really sucked to put Tim Curry in all of that because there's a <laughs> lot of him showing up, like, off screen. There's, like, a whole dialogue that takes place where there's, there's just, like, shots of his empty chair and his fireplace and shit. And then the other scene where he shows up, but he's, like, wrapped up in rags and shit for some reason. They don't really <laughs> show his face. You just hear his voice. It's like, oh, I guess no one wanted to sit in the chair today. Like he's got to be in hiding. Like, why would it matter if he's in a disguise? Yeah, some bizarre choices. Like, um, like this first scene. All right, I can dig Jack and Lily running around in the woods frolicking. It's all you know. It's very fantasy, and I liked it. And I, I the unicorns look cool. Like when they're like playing around. Like I'm feeling the magic. I'm getting yeah. the feels when yeah. the unicorn dies. I'm absolutely feeling it. Like I'm feeling really bad. I'm, in fact, I'm at the age now where I'm like. I don't know. I kind of feel like I need to see if the unicorn comes back because I'm, I'm getting to this weird age where I can't handle it when like beautiful animals die in movies. It's very <laughs> odd. Um, but from there, like what the fuck is going on? Like Jack doesn't give her any warning about the unicorns and, and like she tosses this ring into this river and then like freaks out when he goes to get it when she told him that that's what he needs to do. Like what, what are these choices? I, I, I yeah, I, I don't I don't really understand what happens all there uh, right there despite me just going on about how simple the story is. Uh I kind of get I don't know maybe distracted at that point. I don't know I like, I like looked down and looked up I'm like oh everything's winter now. Uh, <laughs> Jack's underwater and he's frozen. So he he dives in the water everything gets, gets frozen but yeah um I didn't I didn't understand. I didn't seek to understand i didn't back it up to be like oh what did i miss here i yeah, did later yeah, i did later in yeah. the movie i missed something later on in the movie too like when and i did back it up like when lily is 
uh, at the table with darkness and darkness goes charging down the, the table, sure. like, stalking towards her, which is like so awesome. fucking cool. It looks Incredible. awesome. It feels Incredible. awesome. And then she just kind of suddenly switches gears and like starts goes from screaming to laughing and she's playing along. And I'm like, Oh, <laughs> did, did she drink the blood? Wait, no, she didn't. She's okay. So she's pretending you figure out that she's playing along, but like, it's just so sudden. I'm like, did something, yeah. So, so if she didn't drink, then she's faking it, which means that darkness is a fucking idiot. Exactly what I wrote. Like this guy is not smart enough to know that she's fucking like, I mean, it's for kids and like, I can see yeah. this being in some Disney movie, but like, yeah, darkness comes off like a fucking dumbass in this movie. Like <laughs> he's like literally like talking to his dad, trying to get some advice on how to like date this woman. Like <laughs> it's like a five minute long scene where he's like, what do I do? And then like his dad, who's probably like the actual devil is like, you know, court her nice and like tell her nice things and feed her. He's like, all right, I'll do that when she comes here. What the fuck is this scene? Yeah. And then like, he decides to like turn her and we get this beautiful shot of her like running through, you know, like hell or wherever they're at, which by the way, if evil loves cold and everything becomes wintry when it's evil, why is hell so hot? Anyway, <laughs> um, but like we get these right. great shots of her just kind of running and um, and that and that kind of again gets to my main point here, which is so much seems to be replaced with just beautiful imagery. Yeah, it's so true. Um, also, uh, speaking of uh, while we're on the subject of darkness being a fucking idiot, if you have one weakness and it's sunlight, maybe don't shout out sunshine is my destroyer. Just kind of twice. apropos of nothing twice. <laughs> like making sure everybody knows. Like, yep. um, If you want to is, kill me. <laughs> this is unwise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's what that's the thing I kept doing. It's like, okay. You remember when you were nine and ten, Eric, you loved this movie. You're a 42 year old man with a pen and paper here, so go <laughs> easy on it. Yeah a, yeah, a lot of the time, like, in fact, one of my big notes is the fact that this movie would be so much better if no one said anything. Because, like, every time someone talks, it's fucking dumb, like, all the lines are stupid. <laughs> like, uh, it, I don't know what else to say, dude. A bigger problem with me is, is the ADR. Every oh single God. line, nothing oh was re- nothing was recorded on set. Nothing, literally, no, nothing. no audio recorded on set. Is that what's going no. on here? Because everything is punched in. The fans that were blowing that shit around were so loud that you could yeah. not hear any of the actors. You're probably 100 right. The bubble makers uh, drowned out yep. the speed. <laughs> the, the glitter blaster was fucking noisy <laughs> as shit. <laughs> Because I mean, everything is is dubbed over. It's and it's distracting. It's everything. distracting. Yeah, especially when like Lily goes to like her friend's house and she's like, "Oh dear, don't touch that biscuit." It's like, what, <laughs> where the fuck did they record this? <laughs> yeah, it's bizarre. And uh, I mean, I I gotta say, this character Gump, like David Bennett plays. Like, oh man, this, I, this was it. Like when I was a kid, this this guy used to freak me out. This guy made me weird because I was like a kid. I'm like, is he a kid? Why does he sound like an adult? And I used to be get scared of him. But, like, I kind of dig this character. Like, I like that he's got, like, this weird voice that's very... You don't see that in a lot of fantasy movies. They, like, either just sound like they're supposed to or not. It made for, like, an interesting elf that uh, I, I dug. So, yeah, I kind of like Gump. And I liked that he um, he doesn't seem... Like, he's urging Jack to kill Lily mm-hmm. at one point. Yeah. Uh, he, he's not just like, oh, everything's magic and rainbows and everything's fun. He's, he's kind of dark mm-hmm. in a way. 
Um, but also speaking of dark, like it's hard not to see the movie. Like I've never, I've never seen the Tin Drum, but I know that David Bennett was in the Tin Drum, which is in like an infamous movie. Um, he oh. like it was as a, I mean, as, a, as an underage child, he engaged in things on film that should not be. Oh, which is why I've never seen the movie. But so it's kind of like part of me is like, man, I, I hope that like it seemed like this should have if, if the movie had been bigger legend. I agree. I think he does really good work in this, and I think that I would have liked to have seen more of him. Because I think he's a, I think he's a good actor, uh, from what I can tell. You know, before I fell in love and gave my undying devotion to Ali Sheedy in The Breakfast Club, for sure thought you were going to say your wife's uh, name there, but okay. No, no, Ali Sheedy. <laughs> I remember having a huge crush on Tammy Stonock, the insane-looking uh, Ula chick. Really? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved her when I was a kid. Like Wait, she was her. It's between her and that child empress from Neverending Story. Both oh, these yeah. weird fairy yeah. women. Okay, Quite well, a thing in 1985. These insane-looking fairies. I certainly had a thing for the for the woman, the girl from uh, Neverending Story. But you got Mia Sarah right there. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Give me that crazy-looking uh, fairy that makes a lot of fucked-up choices in this film. <sighs> yeah, she's like a, a Tinkerbell that can grow big. And is pissed off, which I like that. Yeah. I mean, again, like sticking to a lot of the myths of 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 England that the sprites are playful, mischievous creatures that mm-hmm. are you know that can be good or evil. Um, the elves are more concerned about um, the land and themselves than anything else. I think that, I mean, it, it's it's kind of fun um, the way that these myths are explored, although it's such a shotgun approach that you don't get to spend a lot of time with a lot of them. And some of them, I don't know. I mean, like the goblins, for instance, they look great. They look like the psychosexual biker gang from Mandy. Um, <laughs> yeah, they really do. <laughs> I mean, they, they look awesome and, and they're, they seem so important in the first like third of the film. And then they just kind of like drop off. It seems like they and don't then, even get killed. They just leave. They just leave. They just leave the fucking movie. And, and, and when they get down to the bottom, when all the, you know, when, when, uh, screwball or where the fuck all their names are when they get when they get down there they're fighting some unseen you know some dude that looks like blaster you know from uh, <laughs> master blaster well not, yeah but not the bastard probably looks like blaster, oh, blaster. Oh, <laughs> just, just blaster from yeah. underdome um and it's like okay well where, where the fuck did this guy come from why aren't they fighting these other villains that they've set up earlier in the movie uh, it's just bizarre but that takes me back to this 89 minute runtime like when i sit back and i'm like well what happened? Like, what did they have to do? It seems like they spent like 10 minutes in the kitchen throwing pie pans around. And then like the, the, we were at the final boss. It doesn't seem like a truly a big mission. Uh, so they should have extended. I, maybe I will take a look at the director's cut because it's, it's not much happens. Um, yeah, uh, it's it's a it's a little bit of a slog to get through it i don't know that i'm gonna want to watch the director's cut myself if you do watch it let us know uh if it's worth revisiting um because to me it's like there's so much of this that feels like movie making magic and and it it takes me out of it repeatedly that you know like that that (laughs) tim curry's not really in the movie again until an hour in um it's, it's for such obvious reasons you know that this the 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 filmmaking cost or the time it took to put him in the chair or whatever. There's a lot of stuff happening where I'm just like, um, and then also PG. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a moment in this movie where they dump over a 
a barrel of shit and like a stew and it's like human remains being <laughs> stewed there's like a spine and like a rib cage and shit like like that they were going to eat yeah. i'm like that. like man the 80s yeah. were so fucking weird when it came to their rating system but, uh, these these pie pans that they're throwing to make, make the uh the, the reflective saucers they're yeah. literally human meat pies that the demons <laughs> eat like they sit around eating human pies so I kind of re I respect that to a degree. Cool. Um, yeah, it's dark. It's cool. I mean, five year old me couldn't handle it at all. But uh, <laughs> you know, it's uh, it is what it is. Well, I gotta say, man, Entertainment Weekly voted Darkness as portrayed by Tim Curry as the the number one best performance in a bad movie. Okay. How do you uh, feel? I, how? I mean, like where? That's his voice, right? I don't even hear Tim Yeah, Kirk. dude. I hear him a little bit when he's chatting with Lily. He's kind of got like that sassiness that he does as Dr. Frackenfurter. You can see it here and there. Yeah, it's an incredible performance. Oh, my God. It's so good. It's it's not just the makeup, although that's <laughs> obviously a huge part of it. But like his voice, his his facial tics, because um, you can see his face clearly despite, you know, everything. And it's just like it's, this is it kind of makes me think of Michael Keaton as Beetlejuice. In a way, yeah, and that it's yeah. like there's there is makeup there, but not so much that it should like make the character no longer look the, the actor no longer look recognizable. But what the actor is doing in conjunction with the makeup is so powerful that it's like creating a wholly new character. Yeah, yeah, it it, it it's amazing. Uh, yeah, I mean it, these choices again. Like <laughs> as a kid, like I remember like jack like cutting his hand off or something but like i don't remember him like going into like this black void like what where is he even going like what like, what where, what happened to him like like what is that I, I don't know it just seems like a lot of like well who cares about that as long as it looks cool things by this director it's screenwriter. yeah and and maybe you're right maybe the director's cut would fill in some of the things that we're a little bit confused on in this simple story that we're talking about which and maybe not um and even if that is the case then it's like then what are you doing why would you make it you know put all this time and effort into a movie like this and then deliberately leave out some kind of explanatory things when you're going out of your way in other points in the movie to like beat us about the head with what's happening and explain to us what's happening we get this long crawl in the beginning that you know, it's fun yeah, but like Everything, yeah, everything, like everything in that crawl, the characters tell us about anyway. Yeah, uh, which makes that a little bit useless. Um, yeah, and just like the dialogue wasn't there for me here. Um, like one, I think one of my favorite parts in the movie, I gotta say, was when that cool ass black dress was dancing around. That was fucking awesome. Um, was that early CGI? I don't, I don't know what the hell that was, but it still looks cool. Rotoscoping, I don't know. Um, yeah, there's, there's definitely some pretty cool effects. If I, if I have to say my favorite part of the movie, um, it was actually the besides darkness, of course. Sure. It, it, it would be the very, very end, and I kind of referenced this already. Like when they're waving goodbye to all the <laughs> goblins and stuff, it's kind of cheesy, but also it's, I think it's good filmmaking, like storytelling, um, and. In a movie that's kind of lacking strong storytelling, it you, it's clear that they're never going to see each other again, and that this is that moment. I'm like, oh, this is why it's a legend because like now they're they're saying goodbye and they're not going to go back to the enchanted forest again because they finally figured out that humans just by touching things with their very presence fuck things up. 
<laughs> I love that part. Like, uh, yeah, um, yeah, I really like that. But you know, did you know that the? Uh, I don't know if it's in the director's cut or not, but there's an alternate ending where, mm-hmm. which gives a lot more complexity to these two like lifeless duds of leads, where <laughs> they decide that like they're better off without each other and they don't really belong with each other because one is a princess and the other is like 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 woods boy who does not belong with her. I think they did good in cutting that out. And they, they tried to bring up this weird class element early in the movie where they're yeah. like, oh, you're poor, but you're richer than me because you have a cozy house. Um, they And since they did so little in establishing her wealth and her class and her status and all that stuff, it would have been weird. Although, again, like Jack is, he's more than just poor. He's he He is also part of that British mythology of like the wild man in the woods, like raised by wolves or whatever like you know kind of parallels werewolf myths but be, or like in like eight man myths but just like dude in the woods myths i had to check the imdb and and figure out because i'm sitting there i'm watching this i'm like every time they show jack i'm like why why is that tom cruise is that tom cruise am i dreaming this <laughs> this is after taps this is after the outsiders after really um after all the right moves, after risky business, after risky business, after he suited up business. as Jack and, and crouched around in his non-underwear-laden legs. Like, why is he in this? Yeah, I mean, he probably wanted to work with Ridley Scott. <sighs> yeah, I guess. Right? He probably saw working with Ridley Scott as a big opportunity. He is a man that knows the power of a blockbuster, and he probably thought this was going to be one. <laughs> That's my guess. Okay. Did the film make money? Was it a hit? I didn't check. Did you? No, I forgot to look. Um, I uh, uh I mean it's remembered well in that people know what movie you're talking about if you bring up legend. Um but as far as it actually making any money, I'm not so sure. Um, I mean it made yeah, it looks like it just made barely i mean according to wikipedia its budget was 24 and a half million it made 23 and a half million at the box office so this is and that probably doesn't include advertising so i would say it didn't quite make back its money it's also very kind of devoid of a lot of humor because the goblins crack jokes but they're not funny uh like nobody else is funny they rhyme it's it rhymes aren't funny but like yeah everybody else is so dead serious and like that's why you can't watch this in like Labyrinth and get like the same kind of fun vibe because Labyrinth has a ton of humor and energy. Of course, Jim Henson. Yeah. Um, good but point. with this, it's just like everything is just so serious and depressing. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's awfully dark. All right. I, I feel like we've whipped, the, whipped this horse. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I got nothing else uh, beyond final thoughts. Final thoughts. What do you think? Should we wrap up a there's little early? There's only so much you can talk about how Rob Bottini needs to return, be covered in a, in Oscars and awards and lifetime achievements, and brought back. You know, when you check him out, the last thing he did was a little bit of work on Game of Thrones, and no one could, no one even knows where he is. Like I heard he's like doing real estate now or something, which is a what? fucking yeah, which is it's, it's unbelievable. But yeah, I mean, he must have grown to hate the business or something. Because I guess you know that's why a lot of the reason Rick Baker left is because he was getting replaced by CG, which he openly came out and was like, "It it looks like shit. It looks like shit." Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised if a team was doing the same stuff because they're all just getting replaced. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, if we're wrapping up, Travis, I gotta tell you, man, like. 
it's for kids for sure, man. I mean, I, I bet you could show this to a kid today, nine, 10 year old kid. And it would be like, this is fucking awesome. These monsters are awesome. Like, I love what I'm seeing right now. But, you know, for me, it's just it's the makeup of darkness. It's some really cool looking images and a great sense of, um, of the fable in light versus dark. Some cool music. And then and that is it. It's just me wanting a lot more and expecting a lot more from this filmmaker, this creative team. Uh, so, man, Jason, we love you. And Jason told me that he he still watches this all the time and he loves the film and didn't even need to rewatch it because he, he he still loves it. And I don't know. Nostalgia does a lot of things for a lot of people. But for me, there's no really no reason to return. It doesn't hold up, in my opinion. OK, uh, I will echo, I think, a lot of that. Um, I, I love Wellico. Um, we miss you, buddy. Wish you could have made it on. We'll have you on another time. Um, and I think it's important to note that this movie is, is for kids, despite it being, I think, inappropriate for little kids, say mm. kids of five years old in Heartland, Michigan in 1985. Sure. Um, but I do think that, yeah, it's, it's not necessarily geared towards adults, but I think at the same time, it kind of, is, I think it's expecting adults to get something out of it with its references to religious and, um, like kind of cryptid mythology. Mm. Um, the stars of this movie are Rob Bottin, the you know makeup designer, and uh, Tim Curry. They, these are the real stars, as you, as you pointed out. Um, I respect the fact that this is a cult classic, and chances are, if I had watched this movie over and over again as a kid, like Wellico did that I would grow up today and I would be on this podcast today gushing about it, but I, mm -hmm. I didn't, I, I don't have yeah. that nostalgia factor. So I'm, I'm judging it solely on its, you know, on, on a, its appearances on what's being presented before me. And I, and mm -hmm. I found this to be just a beautiful misfire, yeah. you know, just, just a beautiful bore. Um, I just was, I got, I mean, part of the reason I, didn't know what happened when I looked down was because like I kept on having to force myself to put my phone down and shit like okay no focus this is not that bad you can get through this uh, damn <laughs> my last yeah what am I 90 minutes one of my last notes to myself was good wins who cares <laughs> uh, so I think that kind of sums up how I felt about it yeah um, I feel bad because I know people listening to this probably like or some people listening to this are like fans of the movie like oh great i just listened to an hour of these people shitting all over my favorite movie i always hate it when that happens but i can't lie i i did not enjoy this at all um i uh i, I don't believe it held up <laughs> i mean don't get us wrong we we like all the things that you mostly like about it and come on mostly everyone talks about darkness and yeah. and how cool uh the, the the world looks and it does look cool but I'm telling you, man, uh, the, the older I get and the more movies I critique on this program, which is a lot of fun, I just see these choices that I don't know how they got away with. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say this. I mean, it, I may watch this again in my life by by putting it on and like while I'm having a party or something, because like just having or like maybe throwing this on really late at night when I've had a few beers or something like I mean, visually speaking, it's it's some it'd be nice to have in the background as far as art um that one critic said it, it was like a you know a classic painting came come to life mm -hmm. and in some ways it, it kind of is or maybe a bosch painting but still it's yeah. uh <laughs> it's uh <laughs> it's it is beautiful i'll give it that cool well, that's all we can do for now yeah so 
Let's talk about next week, man. You are returning as our uh, selection master. Now, I'm interested in what direction you're heading in here. So <clears throat> there is a film that we've discussed a, a few times of late. It just keeps on popping up on the show. Um, it didn't come. And I, and, I, and I feel like when it does, sometimes when that happens, it makes me want to choose it as a movie. You know, and sometimes I'll do that. Sometimes I won't. Mm-hmm. And this time I'm choosing it, a, a, a movie that's come up recently. It didn't come up this episode, although its director did, Louis Mall. I'm taking us to the 1981. I want to talk my dinner with Andre. Okay. There <laughs> it talked, is. We talked about the last two episodes. It kind of came up. And I thought, well, that'd be fun. Uh, let's talk about people talking. We're going to talk about people talking. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. Okay. Max viewing. It's on HBO Max, I believe, at the moment. So if you haven't seen it, do check it out. It is a classic film with Wallace Shawn and that other guy. That guy. That the guy that guys, I guess, is Andre. Andre. Yeah. With Andre. <laughs> All right, dinner so, with Andre. Short, short episode, uh, but we are missing two hosts, really. So mm-hmm. um, there we are. So thank you for joining us, and uh, we again send out love to Mike Govier and Jason Wellico, and all of you fine people. Uh, we will be seeing you probably next Thursday. Should be our usual. Go back to our usual schedule, presumably. Who knows? Thanks for listening. Appreciate you. Catch you next time. Insert darkness quote. Right. I don't have one. Me neither.